Leadership is a choice. When do you choose to lead? Hi, it's Dustin Burleson, and welcome to another episode of The Burleson Box. In this episode, I'm so excited and honored to welcome Dr. Linda Ginzel. She's a clinical professor of managerial psychology at the University of Chicago's Booth School of Business and the founder of its customized executive education program. For over three decades, she's developed and taught MBA and executive education courses in negotiation, leadership capital, managerial psychology, and more. She's also taught MBA and PhD students at Northwestern and Stanford, as well as designed customized educational programs for many Fortune 500 companies. She has received numerous teaching awards, as well as the President's Volunteer Service Award for her work with the nonprofit Kids in Danger. In this episode of The Burleson Box, we're talking about Dr. Ginzel's latest book, Choosing Leadership. Her unique perspective on leadership development acknowledges that the self is a work in progress and that leadership is a skill, not a trait, honed through both reflection and practice. The first act is choosing to lead. I was so excited to discover Dr. Genzel's book at the University of Chicago because this book doesn't tell you how to lead. It will show you how to build your own path to effective leadership in every aspect of your life. Let's get started on today's episode of The Burleson Box. Dr. Burleson here. Many of my most successful clients find themselves looking for a way to preserve and grow their wealth without the uncertainty and volatility of Wall Street. There is another way. My good friend and colleague, Dr. David Phelps, helps practice professionals translate their high income into a high net worth. He does this by connecting members with highly curated, passive real estate deals through his Freedom Founders community. Real estate can hedge your portfolio against inflation, all while providing passive monthly income. This secures your wealth and creates meaningful freedom in your life today, not some vague retirement date in the distant future. Some of my top clients have benefited from David's support and the Freedom Founders community. David has put together some special resources for my listeners. To access, just text DUSTIN to 972 203 6960 or go to freedomfounders.com forward slash Burleson. So let me tell you a little bit about um, the, it's a revised and expanded edition of Choosing Leadership, new publisher. I'm so proud of this concept. I call it a hybrid book. Obviously, my COVID experiences of hybrid teaching, um, it's the same. It's basically the same workbook, a little little edited, not a lot. It's really the same workbook, but there's an additional 100 pages. And this 100 pages is, I call them leadership modules, and it's how to teach the activities in the workbook. Very cool. I'm, I, I'm so, this is like, I'm so... I cannot tell you how excited I am. What I'm trying to do is to help people take more responsibility for their own growth. And, you know, I always say it's great if you have a teacher or, uh, I don't know, some expert come and talk to you about leadership or whatever. But you also, we, each person, everyone has wisdom and knowledge. And a lot of leadership is contextual and personal and, and a result of who you are, what you're trying to accomplish, who your audience is. 
and there's no consensual definition of leadership. There's no one who has the answer for you. So if we go around looking for these answers, I mean, people will sell you anything you're willing to buy and you can find, you can get answers, <laughs> but whether they're useful for you. And so, so my whole thing is that I'm trying to kind of seed a grassroots leadership development movement. I want people everywhere to be able to understand, appreciate how much knowledge they actually already have and, and to articulate that, to value that, to share it. The idea I have about how to teach this is, I call it individual written reflection plus collective wisdom. So we spend a little bit of time by ourselves, quietly, with a pen. I will send you my green pen. It's green pen. I've heard pen. about the green pen, yes. Yeah. yeah. Page 111. Um, Pablo Neruda said that he wrote his poetry in green ink because green is the color of Esperanza. Do you know what is Esperanza in Spanish? Hope. Green is the color of hope. It's beautiful. It's it's so it's it's a great way. You know, when I was um, an assistant professor at Stanford, one of my senior colleagues, Jeff Pfeffer, he's probably the most prolific writer in all of organizational behavior. He's trained as a sociologist. He told me, you know, Linda, you know what we what we what we do for our students, we we help them we teach them how to manage meaning. And I thought, wow, wow. <laughs> what does that even mean, manage meaning? I mean, I have no idea what that means. So I'm slow, but good. You know, 30 years later, I'm figuring it out. <laughs> and so the idea, of, <laughs> the idea of the green pen is that it's a symbol. It's a symbol that kind of captures my gist, my essence. It's, I'm very practical, very practical girl. And uh, it's a pen. I always tell my students, if you don't write it down, it doesn't exist. If you don't write it down, it's a figment of your imagination. Um, and if you write it down, that it becomes data, the data of your own experience. You can collect data. You can organize it. You can um, store it. You can revisit it. But if it's in your mind, if it's in your imagination, we can alter that <laughs> pretty easily. Um, you know, we our memory, our wishful um, thinking, um, all the biases, these cognitive biases that, that normal neurotics have. So normal neurotics is a term that I, you won't find it if you Google it. There's no such thing as a normal neurotic. Um, it's a term that I created for my students to help them understand the difference between therapy, you know, clinical psychology, and what I do, which is experimental social psychology. And so what I say is that I only deal with normal neurotics. I don't have any experience or any training with the clinical population because everybody's always asking me, can you help me understand my crazy neighbor or my boss? I mean, and I say, no, I only deal with normal neurotics, like people like phrase, you and yeah. me. It's great, actually, because, you know, it's like we are – Normal neurotics are pretty successful. We're pretty smart. We have a pretty high sense of self. And as a result, we go around trying to maintain or enhance our sense of self. And in psychology, this is called self-verification. If you were clinically depressed, I hope no one listening is clinically depressed, but if you were, you would seek 
people who have the same low opinion of you because it's congruent with your view of self. We don't like a discrepancy between how we see ourselves and how others see us. If we're not clinically depressed, we're, we're normal neurotics, we go around seeking people and experiences that maintain or enhance our sense of self. And so this is what drives all these biases and heuristics that people are talking about. Behavioral economists have discovered social psychology and are writing about our biases and heuristics. You know, overconfidence. Why are people overconfident? Because we want to believe that we're right. <laughs> we have this, this sense, you know, why, why, are we, why do we have hindsight bias? Because we think that we knew things. We, of course, we predicted that. Of course, we knew that was going to happen. It's obvious. Well, as I tell my students, if you don't write it down, I mean, how do we know you predicted that? You could really, you could really believe you did and it not be true. You know, you can't go around writing everything down. So you have to be, um, you have to decide what's worthy of further articulation. Anyway, but this is all about the pen. So you write the, I, you know, I have this mantra, repeat after me. If you don't write it down, it doesn't exist. You want to repeat after me? Have, let's do it. If you, if you don't, don't write, write it down, down, it doesn't exist. Thank you. That's exactly <laughs> right. So, so um, that's why I give a pen and then the green pen, Pablo Neruda, hope. Uh, and it's so interesting because the idea with the symbol is that it should be relatively easy to, like it's re readily available. It's not expensive. So it's not a cheap pen. It's a Pentel, Japanese, good quality pen, but it's not expensive. So I don't have to say, hmm, can I afford to give green pens to all these students? Hmm. Let me think, do these students, should I give them to these and not to these? No, I don't ask that question. Every one of my students gets a green pen. So I'm going to consider you, uh, uh, Dr. Burleson, I'm going to consider you one of my students. I'm going to send you oh, a cool. green pen. <laughs> Thank you. I love that, uh, that the meaning. And I have been a long proponent with our members of writing it down. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't happen if you don't. Right. I love it. And, and I think if you, if you go back and look at a lot of really inspiring people who kept journals or who kept notes or even people in contemporary society, I think I, I listened to an interview with Jerry Seinfeld who said he always keeps, and I've got them every, anywhere I am. There are five by seven cards and pens because you'll have an idea and you'll think, I'll remember it. And you go for a run and you come back and you're like, what was that thing I was going to send to that friend of mine? I've totally forgot the name of that book. Uh, are you here an interview? I'm all, constantly, my kids give me a hard time because I will constantly pull the car to the side of the road and jot something down. <laughs> I do the same thing. I have sticky notes. So I put things that I remember. I want to remember on sticky notes. And then I have them all over my window at, you know, my office. I have them everywhere. I actually wrote um, for the graduating class, I, I teach at Booth, and, and um, they asked me to write a little, like, I don't know, blessing or words for for the graduation. And I actually wrote about my sticky note collection. And I um, said that I go around collecting wisdom from others. And here's some of the wisdom that, that I've had that inspired me. Things from silly things, like, like my favorite Peloton uh, instructor is Sam Yo. And um, every once, he doesn't talk a lot, but every once in a while, at least the ones I, I see, he, he'll say something really cool. And like, I just love it. You, you can, you can make, you can make money, but you can't make time. You know, you, you can't buy time. You can't, you can't make it. So, you know, it's like, this is it. This is what we have. And just, I don't know, just little pearls. I know that sounds kind of, 
not very deep, but it's actually really important to remember that, you know, we only have so much time and we have to make the best of it. I always tell my students, you know, my goal is to help you to be wiser, younger. And, and what I mean by that is that, I mean, there's no, it's okay. We're all aging and, you know, and actually as we age, a lot of good things happen. You know, there's research evidence that shows that as we age, we become better perspective takers. And you know that perspective taking is one of the key skills in um, successful outcomes, negotiated outcomes, both distributive, more more zero-sum type outcomes and integrative, more kind of um, win-win or, or um, integrative outcomes. So we actually become better perspective takers. We also become more trusting. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. So, I think it's I think it's because the world is actually not a horrible place in general. I mean, I know it depends on what situations you choose to enter and everything, but I think what happens is that when we're younger, we protect ourselves from bad things happening. And we don't realize that we're also protecting ourselves from good things happening. And as we grow older, as we have experiences that we process and, and integrate, we we realize that trusting more is actually beneficial and perhaps we trust, we're better calibrated at trusting, but we do trust more as we age and it's to our benefit. Um, we also report being more satisfied with life. Now, I don't know if we just reduce our expectations, <laughs> report, but it's, it's, it's great. You know, I was telling my son, I have a son who's um, in his late twenties and he's like, Mom, these are supposed to be the best years of my life. I'm like, no way. I'm having the best years of life right now. You know? I love that. Sixties. Yeah. What a great life I'm living. I mean, yeah. it's such a great time of life. Anyway, wiser, younger. The idea is you're never going to be younger than you are today. And that's not so bad, but um, you're, you can be wiser. And the idea is that just because we have an experience, live our life, does not mean we learn anything from from our experiences. So people misquote Benjamin Franklin. All the time. They say, <laughs> oh, yeah, he's, yeah, well, and on this one particularly, right? Yes. Experience is the best teacher. That's what they think he said. It's not really a very good teacher at all. We have a really hard time learning from experience. What he said is that experience is a dear teacher. It's an expensive teacher. And the reason it's expensive is because we don't learn from it. Yep. Yep. Just because we have a success, we may learn nothing from it. We may just think, yes, I'm good. I did it. I'm always going to be good. If we have a failure, we might be protecting ourselves. Oh, that'll never happen again. Or, oh, that was a one-time thing. Or, you know. We may learn the wrong things from our experiences. So my, what I try to help my students do, and I hope your listeners, is to Try to extract value from their everyday experiences in a more systematic way, writing things down, experimenting, changing your behaviors. Um, I love that you had one of my quotes um, uh, that if you want to change your identity, change your behavior. It's so true, right? A lot of people think, well, you know, you have to change people's minds. You have to change their attitudes and then they'll change their behavior. Well, okay. But under a lot of circumstances, particularly choice, free, free will, if we go into a situation and behave without force or coercion, we often actually change our attitude based on that behavior that we engaged in. And so 
I always tell people, you want to change your identity, change your behavior. And if you want to change someone's behavior, someone else's behavior, change the situation. Be a social psychologist. Look at the environment. What in the situation? You have much more control over what's in the environment than you do over what's inside of any given individual. And even if you, so what, what right do you have to try to change the personality of some person that you're trying, you know, what does that even mean? You know, clinical psychologists can't even do that. So what, a manager? Uh, yeah, you think you're supposed to be changing who they are in order for them to change the way they behave? No, the environment, you have so much more control over the environment, right? The task itself, the other people on the team or, 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 or in the in the prox- in proximity of this, the incentives. And what about you? What about you being a big part of people's environment? You can start by changing your own behavior. So that's kind of how that all works together. And I love it. I want to share with the listeners advice. or the viewers I've got. So this is what, when I was stumbling around the um, uh, booth, uh, University of Chicago's uh, seminary co-op bookstore, I um, came across your slide which I think is here. Uh, I don't know if you can see this or not, but I see yeah, it. You, great. Are your, yeah. are your listeners able to see this? We'll put this really? up on a video for, um, so the podcast, that if you're listening so right cool. now, you won't be, but if you click through to the episode, we'll put up the video. So um, this, you know, I love that you say you collect wisdom from others, but you've got a lot of wisdom of your own to give. And this just smacked me in the forehead, like a two by four, because it's so easy in, in business or in relationships to think, you know, why, like, for example, an employee who shows up late or an employee who won't do a certain task in the business, we think, you know, what's wrong with this person? <laughs> you know, like, why won't, why won't they lazy, do Lazy, lazy right? or yeah, yeah, they're lazy. And no, the it's not. It's actually a function of their environment, right? It's the situation they're in. It's not, it's not the person. And it's so interesting because a lot of our conditioning from childhood is, I think about, you know, how, how a lot of societies view people that are unsheltered right and they're like oh that's a that's a that's a situation of character it's often a situation of circumstance and it's not the character of that person it's really interesting so i love this part of the book and i know you've got a new a new edition coming out so i just wanted to highlight that Mm -hmm. if you're ever in a bookstore at a great university and you you stumble across a great book you never know you might get to meet the author one day (laughs) and i'm so grateful i'm so (laughs) flat That's so beautiful. Thank you so much. And you actually have the new cover, the cover of the new edition. Yes. Um, Yeah. So tell us about the new edition. Yeah. It's very exciting. Thank you for asking. I thought you would never. uh, No, I'm (laughs) joking. It was, uh, thank you so much. Um, So, what I really like about the, um, so it's a, it's coming out November 22nd. I have a brand new publisher. Um, The book is 100 pages longer and I think eight dollars cheaper so it's much more affordable and accessible right and my idea my idea is that it so you know how everyone's talking about dei and right so this is my diversity equity inclusion initiative i want to make the kind of leadership education that we get at booth and available to to people outside of my university and not just to other universities I started working with high school students on choosing leadership. You know, I've been teaching executives for over 30 years. So are you saying that people are going to see this video Yep. of yeah. us talking? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, so see, you see, people <laughs> say, 
30 years. You don't look that <laughs> it's the Asian genes. Um, so, so I know, I know. So I'm you start, lot, you I'm started when you were two, long... you got your PhD when you were two yeah, years yeah, old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, so I, I, um, um, I, I always say that not now you flattered me so much. I've, I just lost my train of thought. I just, we, just want to keep going. We, with we that. were, oh, the new book, I, right, right, yeah, right. I do want to highlight that you, you are, you have one of the most popular courses at Booth school of business and for executives, but you're taking it all the way to high schoolers. And we talked off, off camera before we started that attorneys are putting this to use in, in, in law school and, um, physicians are putting it to use in medical Surgeons. school mm-hmm. and we're putting it to mm-hmm. use with Dennis and orthodontists. So, so thank you. But yeah, it's, it's, this is a much broader application. I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm, I really, this is my way. I, this sort of, you know, my way to, I, so I'm, I'm old now, older, I'm in my sixties and um, I've loved my career. I've had, and I have a great career. I want to make a difference outside. I want to make a more durable difference broader. And so I'm trying to go younger. And so two years ago, I started teaching college students for the first time. I've always taught MBAs or executives, executives in the world. But two years ago, I started teaching choosing leadership to undergrads at the University of Chicago, the first leadership class. And I love the, first of all, undergrads at the University of Chicago are so smart. They are smarter than, honestly, most graduate students at other institutions. And I say that not lightly. I mean, I've taught at at Kellogg, I, I went to Princeton, I taught at Stanford. These students are amazing. And I feel so honored to be able to reach them at a time when maybe I can make a bigger difference for them. Maybe. I love my executives, but they, they've made a lot of choices. They have fewer degrees of freedom than the high school students and the college students. And I'm teaching at creating curricula for some high school students who have never even thought about leadership as a choice, leadership as a behavior, never haven't been exposed to social psychology or these notions that uh, um, that we, so the book is intended to be accessible to a very broad audience. It's not intended for executives alone, although that's the original, that was my original audience. So the book, I call it a hybrid um, and you know, obviously the COVID influence of hybrid teaching. And I think about it as learning with one hand and teaching with the other. So you have the first hundred page, the first part, 140 pages of the workbook where you actually write in the book. Um, We're talking about the green pen. And then the second part of the book has the leadership modules where you can create group activities to teach other people. So I have mothers and daughters doing this together. I have uh, people doing book clubs, uh, executive coaches are using it, just different ways that different people are teaching these um, exercises, these activities that help people to define leadership for themselves and think more complexly about the choices they make and what it means to create a, a better future. Now, A quick word from our sponsor. Are you trying to increase your treatment plan close rates while also increasing revenue? How can you do both for your dental practice without burning out an already burdened staff? The answer, remote dental monitoring. You need a trusted HIPAA compliant app that helps you and your staff work smarter, not harder. 
This needs to be an easy-to-use, easy-onboard app that your patients will find fun to use and will increase their engagement and success with aligners. You need the InHand Dental app. The InHand Dental app allows you to engage with your patients in real time, send individual and batched messages, and solve problems to increase compliance without using up chair time. The result? Happy patients, happy staff, and happy practices. With more revenue and the ability to do more starts. With prices starting as low as $149 a month, it's perfect for a growing aligner business. Check us out and learn more at InHandDental.com. Plus, mention Burleson for a 20% off discount on your subscription when you contact us. That's InHandDental.com. And now, back to the program. I love it. It's, it, it literally is, a, I mean, you could teach a semester-long course or, 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 or do all of your lunch and learns with your, with your team leaders and your employees. You could pick a chapter. Uh, we talked about, I think, the attorneys uh, you mentioned or the physicians, I think, are, are taking a chapter the, and teach, the, teaching to each uh-huh. other. The students are in teams, but it's, it's a graded course. I mean, it's a real course. It's at uh, Bloomington, Indiana. Um, uh, Professor Henderson, Bill Henderson is doing it. And he puts, because I visited the classroom, I was a guest uh, there. He has them in teams. So he introduces chapter one, then he puts them in teams and teams teach chapters two through six. And then he closes with chapter seven. And the teams decide of the chapter, what do they, what exercises do they do? What other materials might they bring in from outside the book that they think relate or, and they teach each other. And I was, it's brilliant. Why didn't I think of that? What a great idea, right? I'm trying to, I'm trying to get people to take more responsibility for their own growth. And this whole point about how you learn so much when you teach and they're teaching each other. It's, it's just great. One more uh, application um, at Booth in human resources, the Shar uh, Bennington, our head of uh, employee development, staff members volunteer if they want. It's a it's an opt in kind of training program to be in teams, uh, cross functional teams, and they work through the workbook in teams. And it's it's so beautiful. You know, I was outside Gleacher, our downtown our downtown campus, and a young woman came up to me. She's like, Professor Ginzel. I am facilitating, I'm the facilitator for chapter five. And she was so excited. And I said, really, that's great. What does that mean? And she said, well, I get to decide which activities. I set up the Google Doc. And you know, the way that she was so excited about this, I understood that I don't think she has in her daily activities at work the opportunity to do something like this, otherwise she wouldn't be. It wouldn't be so exciting for her. She gets to create. She gets to practice leadership by creating the space for this learning to take place. She gets to facilitate the learning of her peers. You know, it's it creates so much agency. It makes you feel. I don't know if the word is powerful. Maybe we should feel more powerful, especially at work. We should feel that we have more agency. And I think that that's what trusting our people to learn and teach together. Again, I think I mentioned this, of course you can pay a consultant or a teacher or something to come and talk to your people. But 
how much wisdom everyone has inside of them and how much we take that for granted. So this idea, individual written reflection and then collective wisdom, and we can raise the IQ, the collective IQ of our teams and groups. How much? I don't know, but what a great, what a great opportunity. It's fantastic. I think to, to steal a phrase or at least a concept from Barry Schwartz and his book, Practical Wisdom, we, we give to all of our team leaders that gives them a sense of purpose, right? If they're learning something new and teaching it to other people in the company, but we've had husband spouses come and say, you know, I just want to thank you. But, you know, my wife, before she worked for you guys, was never reading books, was never, and she's so excited to be a part of these sorts of things. I love that. I kind of had a thought in my head. I was like, every employment practices uh, a, a company should make your book like mandatory reading. If you're like, we're going to lower, we're going to lower the HR incidents because we have more, more, you know, <laughs> better leaders. Absolutely. <laughs> no, but it's also absolutely true. Cause I'm thinking this is the, the most cost-effective leadership development on the planet. You know, I mean, I was in Singapore teaching for the executive MBAs and one of my students uh, alums is the new CEO of the Institute for for human resource professionals. And so he runs training programs for the HR people who run trainings for their company. And he told me that he just, he's a new CEO of this of this initiative. He told me that he bought books for everyone, $10 a book. Like where can you get a resource like this that you can leverage and use? And I'm really not trying to do an advertisement, but I really believe <laughs> no. so much in this. Yeah. I do. I believe so much in it. And I just think that it has so much, so much opportunity to make a difference in people's lives. I just, we're putting a press release out on the new edition. And um, she asked me for a quote. And I was thinking, gosh, what, what do I say that I haven't already said in the book or I haven't already said, you know, like on my website, I have all these videos that, you know, you can use if you want to teach the, teach the concepts as well. Short videos, you know, 30 seconds or two and a half minutes. And I decided that I'm going to say that if you want to do something like if you want to do the work of, of um, you know, developing your, building your leadership skills, this book will be together with your long-term commitment, this book will be your companion. Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's a true toolkit. So I have the former, the, the current edition before the new one comes out and this listeners to the program will know this. Cause I say this to, to, to most of the authors we invite on the program, cause they have amazing books with many books. I will find the 10 or 12 pages or the one or two chapters I really like. And this sounds horrible. So don't tell your publisher, I will tear those two chapters out. And I'll keep the dust jacket and put it on the shelf because I have thousands of books around the house. They're everywhere. But your book, I wouldn't touch a single page. It's all got to stay because it truly is something you will go back to over and over again. It's uh, it's a companion. I'm so honored. I'm so honored that you say that. You know, I tell everyone this is my adult dissertation. This is basically the distillation of my teaching of of you know my work since I you know since I got my PhD. <laughs> So, so it's got, and I always tell students, everything I say to you in class, it's in the book somewhere. The book. It's there. <laughs> you know? It's That's rare, I think, because a lot of professors have a book and maybe it's really deep and narrow on one topic. But you get the sense when you open this book, wow, this is someone's entire life's passion. And we were we were talking about uh, before we hopped on, on camera that you laughed. If you don't mind, I share the story that on your phone, one of the, the screensaver, the background is a, is a picture of the book and your kids are like, you know, most people put their kids there. Yeah. And I said, as uh, my head, I'm going, that's because they haven't written a book yet. <laughs> Cause it's, it is, it's a birthing, it's a birthing process. We've it's written like some, yeah. <laughs> 
So I love that. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, what was that transition like for you when you started to think, um, hey, I've been teaching executives. So these are CEOs of, you know, Fortune 100 companies and, and you've been all over and then you made that decision. Um, that Was that a little scary for you? What was that like when you decided to go start teaching undergrads and, 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 and to broaden the, the, oh. the audience? It's not scary at all because I'm still doing the executives. Yep. So, you know, I, I'm, I still have my, my regular job. I'm just doing all of this in addition. In a, I have a lot of energy and not a lot of time, unfortunately. But uh, we were talking about the fact that you can make money, you can't make time. And so what I'm trying to do is balance that. I'm trying to make better choices about how I spend my time. And so it's not scary at all. It's so exciting. And I feel so energized. I love teaching executives. I, you know, I, I would choose executives as my only audience. And I did for, for 10 more, 10 or more years. I only taught executive MBAs at the University of Chicago because I, at Booth, because I, I started the business of executive education, non-degree certificate programs. And so I was so busy running that business that I only taught one class a year in the, um, in the MBA curriculum. Um, at the time, it was in the in the '90s. Told you I'm old. And um, a, a faculty member hadn't ever, at that time, sort of started a business <laughs> within the. And so they had to make a decision: how many classes does a faculty member have to teach in order to still be considered a faculty member? And they decided one. Yeah. So I taught one executive MBA class each year for a decade while I ran executive education, the custom design executive education. So I chose executive MBAs. I love my executive MBAs. And, but there's something for me in my next chapter about, about these younger people. And I don't know if it's the fact that I'm a mom and being a mom and having my children at about this age and seeing how important, and even just life skills and, and understanding the self and, and starting about doing some reflection and, you know, self-understanding younger, I think it'll pay big dividends um, as as these children uh, grow it, instead of waiting until they're older and then say, boy, I wish I had known some of this when I was, when I was young. So it wasn't scary at all. Um, and it's just, uh, it's just really, okay, I'm even going younger. Did you see on the website that I have a children's picture book? Yes, yes. That so there's a lot of so listeners it, who have kids who could benefit from from these lessons. Yeah. So here's the story. It's so beautiful. It's so so. This is my passion project. So I um, it's based on an activity from the workbook called juxtapositions. Mm -hmm. So juxtapositions is I'm, one of my goals is to, you know, everyone thinks, oh, leader, I want to be a leader. I don't want to be a manager. Who wants to be a manager? You know, leaders, leaders have big thoughts. Leaders, leaders have vision. You know, leaders, leaders are it. I don't want to manage. I want to lead. But it's based on this, I'm a stereotype of what is a leader. People think that leaders and managers are somehow different people. Maybe they're different species. Maybe, maybe, you know, um, you, it's a role, it's a title, it's a person, it's something, whatever. It, it's like by like a dichotomy, but it's not. Leading and managing our behaviors. The person 
is, you know, you could say that person's an executive. I've been using in the book, I use the word champion um, instead of executive because of the broadening of the audience. So the idea is that when you're managing, you're championing the present, the status quo. And that's not a bad word. It, if we don't have a strong present, we can't have a future. So management is noble. Managing, you know, your feet on the ground, you're getting things done, you're delivering on promises, you're making the streets expectations, you've got, you've got diapers in the house, whatever you need to do to make it day by day, that's management. And it's noble. Management is what allows us to send our kids to college and go on vacation. I mean, it's what we do. Even if you have a high title and a big credential and, you know, big budget, and you're still managing a lot of the time. The idea that leadership is a choice. Leadership is when we leave. This is how I think about it. It's not the answer. It's just something I have found helpful for my, my students. Leadership is when we leave the relative stability of the present and we go to a place that doesn't exist. And that's a risky choice because you've never been to the future. And, you know, you, you have this vision of a better tomorrow, but you don't know what you're going to find when you go there. And then you've got people following you and you might be taking them over a cliff. They're believing in you. You know, when you manage, you just need their head. If you have their heart, that's bonus. But when you lead, you need their heart. Yeah. They have to believe in something that doesn't exist yet. They believe in you. So it's a risky thing. You don't want to make the choice to lead too often. You'll just wear yourself and everyone out. <laughs> it's true. So, yeah. So the idea, no, really. So the idea of bringing leadership down and management up is is one of my um, one of my mantras. So this this activity juxtapositions in the workbook. The idea is think, just go with me. Think of managing as being here, stability, and the present. Think of leadership as going there, change, and the future. Now, come up with words that are equal in valence that mean that capture the gist or the essence of those two ideas. So here's an example. These are all for my students. Leadership is the moon and management is the sun. Wow. So the idea, right, with the sun is that it's daylight. We're here. We can see it's relatively clear. It's now we, we've got it. The moon well, that's at night. It's a little dark. It's changing. It's kind of over there. It's un more uncertain. But what's better, the moon or the sun? Well, you could say the sun, but no, that's, a, that's not a question we ask, which one's better? <laughs> They're both important, right? So why do we say which one's better? Of course, leadership is better. People think leadership is better. Who wants to be a manager? So, so I was teaching in Hong Kong. I was literally Zooming, of course, during COVID. And it was literally from 1.30 to 4.30 a.m. Chicago time. So nothing's going on in my house at 4.30 in the morning. And this, their, kid, their children are coming home from school. So I, and they're not happy that they're Zooming and that they're not in person. And they're not able to chat with their colleagues or with the professor. So I said, look, I'll stay on with you. I'll have coffee. We can chat. And so we can talk about whatever you want. We can talk about, you know, work. We can talk about I don't want to talk too much about politics, but, you know, we can go there if you need to. But let's just let's just make it our open. I call it open office hours. And their children were coming home and sitting on their lap. And one of the boys, I'll send you an, an article. Uh, I don't know. Do you post? Well, anyway, I'll send you the article. And, and if it's interesting to you, uh, I'll be happy. But it explains this, how the story came. 
so there's this um this uh d- the daughter of one of my students and i said stella did you are you helping your mom with her homework and she picked up my book choosing leadership and she showed it to me and i thought these kids need a book these kids need a leadership book and then there was another boy um sitting on his dad's lap and i had signed a workbook for him for his son uh, right before covid started actually like the february of covid i was in hong kong and i looked at him and i said did your dad give you that book i signed for you and he looked at his dad and his dad like i told you i'm saving it for him until he's 15 <laughs> the boy's 3 years old i was like oh give it to him now let wow. him put it in his mouth let him eat it and i thought <laughs> a board book these kids need a board book cool. and so what happened throughout the course of that week we we came up with the idea for for uh, leadership is and then i said look i want this available i'm not going to sell it we're going to make it available for everybody we're going it's going to be a downloadable pdf but i want it available in every language of my students so right now there are 34 languages that wow. you can download this little children's book and they have all been translated by either my friends my family or my students and so if anybody out there listening or watching or goes to um the website it's leadership book no sorry choosingleadershipbook.com under little champions and downloads the if you see a language that you know that is not there send me an email or talk to talk to um you we'll we'll <laughs> we'll do whatever you want but you can have the translation credit that's what you get just the yeah. translation credit but i'm telling you it seems to be pretty popular because i have people who really want the translation credit because it's meaningful they're tra- oh and like the korean version it was one of my students and his son oh cool they did it together cool i the greek version it's three generations of women the grandmother the mom and the daughter they spent they sent me an email they said we spent orthodox easter together and we just had lamb shank and red eggs and we translated the book and three generations of women in our family i mean so amazing so i i i want to share that with your with your audience because it's just so so amazing to be able to talk with your children in your own language and to to think about stereotypes of what what these kids think and it's just a picture and a word right so it doesn't say that it has like the sun and the word sun in the language and then the moon and then you can talk about what that means and it looks like it's for little children but it it could be for adults um my sister-in-law she teaches um she's as like executive development and she uses the children's book with her managers because there are pictures and you can just talk about what you think and you know what comes to mind without having too many constraints and she says it's the best exercise to use the children's book with her managers like to that. talk about their assumptions about leading and managing isn't that cool it's cool yeah it keeps it open ended what you know why put them into narrow of a, of a discussion what a what a beautiful answer i know there are a lot of listeners and members who you know go to work every day and they're a professional most of our listeners are 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 healthcare providers and that you know the idea of maybe going and teaching or volunteering and and helping the next generation learn some of these things could be scary that's kind of why I went there but I love that you say oh, I still got the executive coaching I'm still still doing that but I embrace this kind of different path that has obviously turned out very well so I might 
encourage listeners, you know, that, that, uh, that that's a possibility. If you uh, later this afternoon, I'll be at the university teaching the orthodontic residents. And that is one of the highlights of my week. And, um, years ago, I thought I never had time or what would I have to give, but, um, you're a wonderful example that that is something you, you could embrace. So thank you for sharing that. That's a great, great example. No, it's my pleasure. Yeah. Um, I know I, I could talk all day to you about these topics. I, I, I want to make sure that our listeners have, obviously, we'll include the links to uh, to the book. And uh, if you're a, a, a subscriber of the actual physical Burleson Box program, you will probably in Q1, I think, is when the, that this book would, would be in the next shipment for us. But we'd love to include that. I'd love to see... Feedback from our members on on letting their employees and, and team leaders, um, uh, you know, co-learn and teach together. I think that'd be mm-hmm. very very exciting. Um, I love. You know what the- I can send to you? Yes. Sorry, I didn't nope. mean to interrupt you, but yep. I can send to you. So Shar Bennington at at Booth created a facilitator guide, like a page and a half, and a and a um, user's guide, and it's just. Um, some tips and things about how you can get your groups together and facilitate. And maybe that would be useful for your people to help them think about how they want to do it. And this is why I did the hybrid book. It's because I thought people could do it without the learning modules. I thought, you know, just get people together and write down your earliest leadership experience and have a conversation and and then show the video. But it helps with people to have just a little bit more structure to kind of hold on to. So I'll send you that. And maybe that would be something that would help your your members, your your listeners, to take the take the step to put a group together and to to teach and learn together. I love that. Thank you so much. I want to end with one concept and your thoughts on it because it was so impactful to me in the book that I took it and used it in resident interviews. So we just had or in the match process, and so uh, dental students are applying for residency. And uh, your quote was: "Questions are tools that generalize across contexts, while answers are context specific." And I feel like as doctors, we always want to have the answer to everything. We've kind of been professional students, and so we're trained to have the answers. Uh, and so you said when you talk to people or interview people, uh, a great question I ask would be, "What's the best question to ask you right now?" I love the and the and the people we interviewed just kind of did one of those like. That's a really good question, I guess. And then they would go and it was it opened up a whole new avenue of dialogue. So I love that. The, what's the best question to ask you right now and your thought on questions versus answers. Can you maybe speak to that a little bit if, for the listeners who might want to take this and put it to work on Monday morning? I would love to. So, so I'm all about turning off defaults and making a different choice. And I think it's a way to experiment with our behavior and to be wiser younger. Because, you know, as I said, we're all normal neurotics and we're pretty smart and we're pretty capable and we're pretty successful. And if you never met me, you do just fine. You do just fine, but I can help you be wiser, younger. And how do you do that? Well, you make a different choice. You change your behavior. We all default on answers. So what if we make questions salient? What if we think about the value of pithy or perceptive questions? So for example, one of my favorite perceptive questions to help people understand their definition of leadership is, when do you choose to lead? Not how do you lead or why do you lead or not, but when, when do you step up and make a risky choice? The answer doesn't really matter. The, the process is you are making it. The answer that you choose will reveal to you something about your definition of leadership, but it's the question that inspired that understanding. 
So that's why I say that questions generalize across contexts and you can use the same question in different avenues, in different ways, and you'll get different answers. And that doesn't mean that we're wrong. Actually, it means that we're right because we're thinking about what is the answer in this environment with this group for these people, for my goals. So I, I actually think it, asking, focusing on questions versus answers is part of my um, MO, my general uh, MO, which is to, if we focus on personality, turn that off and start thinking about the situation, right? If we're focusing on leadership, try to turn that off and focus on, on, on management. If we're th so it's like, how can we, it's almost like low hanging fruit. If we're always doing this, doing more and more and more of the same thing, then the incremental gain is what? But if we do something in an area where we haven't done much, then you can have big benefits from small changes. So I just think questions are so much more important than answers, and but really good questions. Good. And um, if you keep questions handy, they can be very useful. Keep good questions handy. They can be very useful for you. That's a great answer. I think we'll, we'll end on that. I can't wait for our members to uh, get the book and dig into it and to use it as a tool and, and as as a companion throughout their journey. So, uh, Linda, thank you so very, very much for being here. Oh, I'm so honored. And I'll put together some things and send them to you. And I hope some of it will be useful to you and, and to your members. And thank you so much for having me. I, I really, I, I probably said it 10 times, I'm so honored. Thank you. Thank you for, for supporting my cause and for believing in, in these um, social psychology ideas. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Burleson Box, where we bring you and your team leaders into the conversation with today's best authors and business leaders. If you enjoyed today's program, be sure to share us with a friend or colleague. You can visit theburlesonbox.com and sign up to receive my monthly reading list, study guides for each of the books and authors we interview, and as a member, you'll receive early access to ad-free episodes exclusive transcripts, handouts, and PowerPoint templates to help guide your next team meeting. Just give us a call at 816-226-7988, and we can discuss how a Burleson Box membership, monthly coaching, and our annual leadership conference can work for you and your employees. Be sure to listen each month for new resources, and until next time, remember the words of Charlie Munger, who said, Be a continuous learning machine. Charlie is a voracious reader along with Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, and many other hugely successful people. As the old saying goes, we are old too soon and wise too late. Go make it a great month. I'll see you right here next time on The Burleson Box. When's the last time you evaluated your credit card processing statement? Our partners at Stacks are offering a free savings analysis for our listeners, where they will actually take your merchant statement with your current processor and show you where you're overpaying. Stacks has saved orthodontics practices over 40% per month on payment processing costs. So don't wait. Get your free savings analysis today and see how much you're overpaying for your credit card processing. Go to StacksPayments.com forward slash Burleson seminars to schedule your savings analysis today. Plus, as a special offer for our podcast listeners, if you sign up today, you can get your first two months of payments processing costs waived from Stacks. Once again, that's StacksPayments.com forward slash Burleson seminars. Stop overpaying. Start saving.